This is Think Smart with TMFG, your weekly podcast of what's newsworthy and relevant to everyday Canadians. With your host, Senior Financial Advisor Rob McClelland and Mike Conan of Asante Capital Management. Today on Think Smart with TMFG, Mike and I will be discussing the future of real estate in Canada. It's a pretty popular subject now, isn't it? It really is. Every client coming in says, you know, I don't know what the value of my home is, but it's probably down somewhere between 10 and 30% since we last updated it two years ago. It's funny, everyone, everyone's so concerned. When we're doing financial plans with people, everyone's favorite thing is to update that real estate value. And it really has zero impact on their plans. It's the one thing I guess we're less interested in it than the client is. Well, and, and the reason for that is, you know, uh, it's always the backup plan that you've got, a, you've got your real estate there. Some clients have a belief that when they downsize, they'll be able to get money out of it. Our experience is very little money. will be able to be put aside somewhere less than 10% of, of the value of your home will actually go into in savings or investments. It, it's funny. I'm not anti-real estate. Both you and myself have done real estate investments for income producing in, uh, real estate. And it's a very good place to be. We know that. But it, it's funny. You have to really take your principal residence and it should be more treated as a place to live rather than a financial investment. Definitely. So, Mike, you had dinner recently with a, a friend who's uh, a real estate agent. They were so positive on the real estate market. <laughs> We went out and they were telling me how it was a great time to buy. And this is actually up north, which seemed like a very, they said, you're missing a huge opportunity. You should be buying properties all over north. And I, I, of course, I'm asking about the rationale behind that. And usually when you talk to real estate agents, they're giving me the rationale is always, only thing left over is immigration. So they talk about how many people come to Canada every day and the housing shortage in Canada and how that's going to drive, drive prices up. Then, you know, I start to come back with interest rates and they seem to, try to put that uh, subject aside. So so what actually does affect real estate prices, Rob? What do you think? Well, I think, you know, number one, interest rates have a big impact on real estate movement. And, and the reason for that is most people are, you know, where, where the action is in real estate, they're either buying their first home or they're upgrading from their current home. There's a lot that goes. Now, some are also downsizing, but the, the excitement is new homes, buying your first home, moving to a bigger home. That's where all the excitement is. Almost all of those initial transactions involve a mortgage of some sort or borrowing money. If interest rates are higher, the cost of borrowing is higher. And we got used to 10 years where interest rates were less than 3%. And the cost of borrowing was was minuscule compared to where it's been in more recent history. And people are having to adjust now. Current mortgages are 5%. And if you're doing a HELOC or a home equity line of credit, you're up to 7, 7.25%. Yeah, more of an affordability issue than anything else from a cash flow point of view. I guess the next piece that comes to mind is economic conditions. Like, where are we? Are you in a booming economy where everyone thinks the future is bright and rosy and they're going to continue to make tons more money? Or are we coming toward a recessionary period where there may even be something like job losses in the future? Well, it, we talked about this on a couple of podcasts. Number one, 
we're already starting to see economic conditions deteriorate a little bit. Although retail sales continue to be relatively strong year over year, the number just came out today, and it, you know, we're up uh, 5% over the last 12 months. That's a pretty good number. You know, it's, a, it's ahead of inflation, so consumers are still buying. We're seeing companies do the, the layoffs. That's a sign that we're headed for something. Pessimism, we talked about that in another podcast, that pessimism hasn't reached this level in almost 50 years. So people are very pessimistic about the future. I guess the one thing that's positive on the real estate side is population growth uh, is usually attributable to rising real estate uh, prices. And population growth is great in Canada. It's the one thing that I think Canada stands out in the world as being a great country. And the other thing is most of the immigrants I see want to buy real estate. It's on their, their main plan. So if you look, you know, there's two things going on there. One, Canadians aren't having as many children as they used to. So we had to increase immigration. In 2023, the expectation is that we'll be bringing in half a million people. The problem with that is where do they all go? Most of them want to be in the big centers, Toronto, Vancouver, less so probably Montreal. Calgary would be a, an opportunity. But there's only so much housing available in those areas, and prices are already relatively expensive. So that's the argument for why this, will, why this demand will never stop. The problem is when you've got rising interest rates, no one can afford to buy the house yeah. at a certain level. I mean, we always come back to one of the main ones that says supply and demand. So supply and demand, again, in particular areas, Toronto, hey, Toronto is a, a high a high demand area and the supply is limited because of the size of Toronto. So that's always going to have a supply and demand issue in it. Uh, speculation, the government, you know, it's always one of the reasons for moves in, in real estate prices. Um, whether you buy a condo and rent it out, you buy a house and rent it out, you buy a house and sit on it until it goes up in value and then you sell it. Um, the evil side, people buy a house, launder some money and then sell it five, ten years down the road and hopefully that money's clean. There's all of these factors that play a role in rising real estate prices. So let's talk about the government's role, because the government pays a, plays a role too. So over the past, let's say, five to seven years, the government has a, a major role in increasing the cost, the cost of real estate. And the reason is, is they've lowered interest rates, almost to keep them artificially low. And I've read once where they talked about artificially low interest rates as the equivalent of a tax. And their idea behind that was the government has to pay interest on all the loans they have out, and that way people aren't collecting money on it. So the lower interest rates are for the government, better for their system because they, they borrow a lot of money. But those artificially low interest rates have driven that real estate market through the roof over the past five years. The other thing that governments play a role in is they're always concerned about winning the next election. You know, the current party in power, uh, this is their third term. Uh, their 10th year in government, and uh, they, who knows, maybe they want to stay around for a fourth term. Many people in Canada, their, their largest asset is their home, right? That's just a fact. And if the government's going to put in a policy to make your largest asset worth less money, are you going to vote for them? No, right? So what goes on is the governments have done this push to continue to get reelected to try to create a higher real estate price because 
people want to know. Like a lot of our listeners have a lot of investments outside outside of their real estate. But if you take a just a standard sample across Canada, uh, our client base would have a lot more assets versus just real estate. Your average person in Canada, basically real estate is a large percentage of the net worth. I think the number is that of those eligible, close to 69% of Canadians have a home. And that could be a, a, a single house, it could be a condo, but they have a home that they own. That's pretty high. Yep. So what is the government doing, Mike, to try and fix this, uh, first of all, the problem? They want to still continue to bring a lot of immigrants in, but there's not enough houses they say they're trying to stimulate the building of houses and condos and so on. And yet they, if you talk to the builders, they seem to roadblock every development and it's a, a long and arduous process. Are they really doing everything they need to do? Well, we know the cost of bureaucracy has increased tremendously. From, from our, builder, our, our builder clients who let us know, it's very hard to develop a, 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 let's say a land subdivision right now. The costs are just onerous. You know, they've increased land transfer taxes. Toronto has expensive land transfer taxes. So again, what they they said they were trying to do is stop the flipping of homes to make it more expensive to just move homes around. So again, the idea that would stop people from uh, speculation in that area. They've also went and introduced new vacant uh, home taxes. So again, to top speculation where people would just buy a home and leave it vacant. So there's a problem when you have a housing shortage and 10 to 15% of the homes sit vacant. So they put in some taxes uh, to help that. And they continue to increase immigration to the country. So that, that again is gonna you know, uh, work, to, uh, work to increase home prices over time. So along comes COVID back in 2020, and that completely changed a lot of things. Suddenly there was an increased demand for nicer homes. Yeah, if I'm gonna work from home, if I'm going to spend uh, all my days working from home, I'm willing to put some money into that home. There was less demand for office space. There was less demand for retail space. We got used to, during COVID, ordering online. It expedited everything, ordering ordering your, your clothing online, ordering your groceries, even ordering your, your dinner online. And we've seen that by all these companies that have just skyrocketed and their prices have skyrocketed too that provide those services and i guess finally there's been more demand for warehouse state space amazon where do you shop i'm starting my christmas shopping where am i shopping i'm, I'm not going to malls anymore <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going on my phone yeah much easier so mike there's been some recent changes to government policy based on what we've seen over the last couple of years since covid came in and is it going to impact much, or what? What is your thought on this? And what are the what are the new what's the new policy? So they're not bad. Uh, they don't cure all the problems. Again, it, it was called a charter. Uh, we're now in the third week of November. It came out on Tuesday, so they put some new charters. So, finance institutions always have the final say in how they loan money, but this is recommendations that come out from the government. These only affect CHMC or CMHC insured mortgages. So this is when people don't have the full 20% to put down on their house. They have a government insurance behind them. So what they've done is they required financial institutions to give you four to six months uh, notification before renewal. So they don't want mortgage companies all come, some come up to someone and say, 
your mortgage was at 2%. Oh, by the way, you have to renew next week. It's going to be at 6%. So they said there has to be some type of warning for that. So they're getting a four to six month lead time to say your mortgage is coming up for renewal in March of 2024. Here's where rates are today, I guess. Yep. They've also put in a, what I think is a good idea. They've uh, made it so any uh, insured mortgages, when they go to move to a new institution, they don't have to requalify again. So this is a big move that's rather good because think about it this way. If you have a mortgage uh, that you cleared at 2% and you qualified, now the rates are at 6%, you know you're not going to qualify. If you know you're not going to qualify, your bank also knows you're not going to qualify. So would they give you a good deal on a mortgage? Why would they bother, right? If they if they list the going rate at 7%, you can't argue with them because they won't deal down because they know you can't go next door and get anything lower. So by putting this rule in place, what it does, it allows some competition because if you're with one bank and you want to move to another institution, you can now go to that institution. And if you qualified at the first institution, you now qualify at the second institution. So it, it keeps the competition in there. I think so, that's a good move. So does that mean if you qualified at two, even if it's six now, you automatically qualify? Yep. Hmm, interesting. Is that a good thing? You know, that's the big question. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's not a good thing. It's, yeah. I mean, if, if someone qualified at two, they're probably not going to qualify at six. I guess what the government looked at, they realized that was going to be an issue and cause foreclosures. And they, they realized that the financial institutions could really take advantage of that because uh, they have everyone against the wall at this time. Does it solve the long-term problem? Not really. There's a reason why these qualifications were put. It's funny. The bank made this whole big stress test idea four or five years ago. This was their big deal to fix everything. And as soon as things break, they immediately drop it <laughs> when it's needed. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, prices need to drop to where they need to drop to. Yep. And, you know, the, the, the same with the stock market. And yeah, if things get out of control, then it's good for the government to step in and, and do some things like that. This one, I don't know. I, th I think you're just going to put people, suddenly if you renewed at six and you were struggling at two, you're, you might be deeper in the hole, much deeper in the hole at six. But anyways, that's a discussion for another day. They put some other rules into which allow people to do lump sums when they end up in a ne negative amortization uh, schedule. So the problem with how high interest rates have gone some people that were at, let's say, a 25 or 30-year amortization schedule because they were doing it at 2%, now their payments have actually put them out to the point where they're 50, 100 years. So when that comes to time, there's the only way to make that work is to drop a lump sum into the payment to bring down that amortization schedule. And there used to be cost to do a lump sum payment for early payoffs. They have went and said, we're not going to let fines come in if you have to put a lump sum in to change your amortization. Is any of this going to change interest rates? No, not at all. It appears we might be headed in the right direction with interest rates. Inflation seems to be dropping in North America, let's call it. Not enough for the governments to come in and lower rates yet, but at least they're stopping to talk about increasing rates. So that's stage one, I think. I guess the problem is all the government has done is change all the things that were supposed to protect everyone from getting in trouble borrowing. All they're doing is removing all those rules that they put in years ago. In the economy, are there any other underlying indicators that may say there's other issues going on? A few things out there. Equifax Canada said the credit card balance is an all-time high of $107 billion. 
the second quarter of 2023. And when pe- why are people borrowing money on credit cards at plain, 20%? <laughs> plain and simple. At 20%, they're doing it because they have no other method of financing. So that's an indicator that people are in some financial problems. Other thing we watch when mortgages have been getting renewed, many are moving from Schedule A banks to Schedule B banks. And again, this is uh, this may be helped a little bit by the government changes, but people were going to uh, would no longer qualify under certain uh, new rules, and they'd have to move to a more expensive lender again, which means they're in some problems. So it was interesting. I was talking to an individual who has some inside knowledge at one of the banks about you know what's going on in the banks, and you know the first comment was that well GICs are booming. And in this particular bank was offering up to 6% on a one-year GIC. And I thought, oh, that's amazing that they can do that, given that rates elsewhere aren't that high. So they must be doing it for a reason. And then it suddenly dawned on me, the reason they're doing that is they need to shore up their reserves a little bit. So banks in Canada have to make sure they have enough assets on the book to cover their liabilities. And the ratio, there's a ratio they have to stick to. If you bring in more GIC money, regardless of what rate you're paying, you're bringing in more assets and you're going to help to shore up that book. At the other end of the scale, your liabilities, what do you do there? Well, you could call mortgages. Well, that wouldn't be accepted in the country right now. But you could make it very difficult to get new credit. And that's exactly what's happening. And again, in this particular institution, almost 99% of credit applications are getting rejected. And people are trying to get more credit because they're struggling. So those are some signs that things are maybe even a little less rosy than we think they are, even though prices could be down anywhere from 10 to 30% from their highs. Yeah, because we work in this field, we get a, we do get a rosy image of what Canada looks like. If you go into your bank, I was uh, at a teller and watching two people in front of me, you know, arguing with the teller that they can't make their mortgage payments. And that's the reality of Canada. And uh, it's going to affect the prices. So, Mike, what's the prediction? I don't like to make predictions, but I'm not running out to buy real estate right now. <laughs> it's interesting. My, you know, my, no predictions myself. I think, you know, when the governments get in and, and make changes to the already extremely confusing home buying rules, etc., for every change... Where there might be a positive, there's going to be a negative that happens with that change as well. We just don't know often what they are. But all investments we know are cyclical. And real estate's had a, a great cycle. It's been like a 30-year bull market for real estate. And uh, we know there's a cyclical component of real estate. And I think with real estate cycles, they tend to be a lot longer, right? So the cycles are more of a long-term thing. So with, with that, that's, you know, and you could always be wrong on this. They could take off again because of population growth and things like that. But I look at the cycle and where we stand and the affordability of real estate. I'm not that bullish on it right now. That brings us to the end of another week. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob and Mike with Think Smart from the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management, reminding you to live the life that makes you happy.
you've been listening to the McClellan Financial Group of Asante Capital Management Limited. Asante Capital Management Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Insurance products and services are provided through Asante Estate and Insurance Services Incorporated. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the previous information, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed are those of the authors and not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management Limited.